Well, good morning, church family. We are going to turn to God's Word, so if you have a copy of uh, that, uh, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We are going to finish chapter 9. We have a few uh, chapters left in our study through 2 Corinthians uh, towards the back of the New Testament there. Um, And uh, we've been in a journey last uh, three weeks, so this is the fourth week, kind of a mini-series on generosity in chapters 8 and 9, and so we'll wrap that up today uh, as we uh, are just preaching through the text and seeing what we see as we do. That's what we do here. We go verse by verse through a book, and um, we've been talking about what Paul has been writing in the church about generosity, and last week we talked about three obstacles to our generosity, one being procrastination, the second being hesitation, and the third being an exception, that often we let those get in the way of what God wants us to do. So I'm going to read verses 6 through 15, but before we do, um, if you're new to our church here, this is an affirmation that we'll say together. Uh, Our people believe the Bible, our people believe the Spirit to change our lives through the Scriptures, and so this is something we say as an affirmation before we come to God's Word. It's a good way to remember what we're doing in this time together and what we believe about the authority of the Scriptures. So let's say it together. Our pursuit is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be a biblically functioning community. We will not shy away from the word of God. We will embrace it as truth, no matter how painful it is to our souls. We will follow the king into eternity. I pray that we would do that, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 15 in chapter 9, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. This is what it says regarding the cheerful giver. The point is this, Paul is writing, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I always invite people to pray. It's not something we just do on Sundays. Whenever you read the word, you should just pause and ask God, would you speak by your spirit through the word? And so I'd ask you to pray in the same way today, just a brief prayer. Um, But I would ask you to ask a specific prayer of God. Would you just ask him to ask or to tell, ask you to be a more generous giver? God, would you just have me be more generous? And maybe you're already generous. Ask him to make you more generous and I'll pray for us together. Father, I do pray that you would cause all of us to be more generous than we already are, and maybe uh, we have a limit to our generosity, but I pray that we would never have a limit 
because you don't have a limit to that. And so, Father, I pray that you would show us again your grace, move us uh, in the way of obedience, transform our lives for the sake of the gospel. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Last week, I asked you this question. Do you consider yourself to be a ready and willing giver? Are you ready and willing when, when God presents something to give and to meet a need? And it flows from the question that we've kind of reviewed each week, which is this, do I know what I've been given in Christ? From generosity is going to flow from everything for, for that answer, how you answer that question. If you understand the grace that God has given, then you would understand what you've been given. And of course, you'd be generous when you understand how much God has lavished on you. And then I challenged us with this by way of review. We should be ready and willing to meet the needs God brings before us. That's unique to everybody. Everybody is met with different things that God puts in your path. And when you have a resource, you should seek to meet it, to be generous. Now, I take you back. I'm not going to read it, but there's a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 7. If you get a chance today to read it, that would be excellent. But he paints this picture of a, a parable in response to something that happens. And here is the picture. In Luke chapter 7, there is a sinful woman who is an outcast to society, who has failed in pretty much all areas of life, and she knows that Jesus is going to be in a certain area, and she goes to him, and it says that she anoints his feet with an alabaster jar. She worships at his feet. She, recognizing her unworthiness and the worthiness of Jesus, and goes to him and bows humbly with her heart before him. And she gives him this worship, this treasure, by giving generously, giving something of value to herself. Now, like all things in the Gospels, the Pharisees saw it, and they were just astounded. In fact, they said, if this man, Jesus, was actually a prophet, he would know who comes to his feet. It's a sinner, this horrible sinner. And they judged that moment this woman, if, if he only knew who she was, she was the worst of the worst. And what's interesting about this is Jesus turns then not to address the Pharisees, but he turns towards Peter and interestingly says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And then he framed the simple parable that he goes on to write in Luke 7. Two people owe the same creditor. One owes a lot and one owes a little. If the creditor forgives both amounts, who is more grateful? Who will love the creditor more? And Peter, in wisdom, responded, I suppose the one whom the larger debt was canceled. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are correct, grasshopper. Right? You got it. Peter didn't always get it, but he got it on that one. You see, the whole basis for our series in generosity flows from an understanding of how much we've been given or forgiven in Christ. When you see that kind of see that kind of grace coming at you if you will, generosity towards the worst of sinners and you have to acknowledge that first that you are the worst of sinners that I am the worst of sinners that we before a holy God are that. Then once you see that your hearts just burst open in worship for who Jesus is and what God has done through him. And generosity flows then from that attitude of worship. You see, our whole life of faith is lived out in response to what Christ has done. That's what faith is, trusting God and living out a life of faithfulness. Our love for God 
our love for others, our service to others, our ability to go with the mission of the gospel and desire to tell other people about Jesus flows from worship and a life of faithfulness. And it's what I've been trying to articulate the last four weeks as we've unpacked that question. Do you know what you've been given in Christ? Do you know what he's done for you? And so if you've been shown grace and you understand it, you receive it, you're going to live lives of faith and faithfulness. In other words, living by faith includes giving by grace. It has to be part of your world. And I said this last week, this isn't all things money, although it is money. It's just a life of generosity, how you treat others, how you give of yourself to others. And so three things I want to see us see in the text this morning, which I think are clearly seen and perceived. And I think they're also clearly seen in the account in Luke chapter 7 that I spoke about just briefly ago. And the one is this, giving is a joy. Two, giving is a blessing. And three, giving brings glory to God. Giving is a joy, giving is a blessing, and giving brings glory to God. Now the first one is found in verses 6 and 7, giving is a joy. Paul writes here, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He is reminding us of the principle of reaping and sowing, which you've heard it in the world. You reap what you sow. And, and, and you gather what you've put in. It's a principle spiritually, and it's a principle in regards to what Paul's teaching is here to the church on generosity. As you give, God will give back. Not always in the way that we think, but he quotes here this principle from Proverbs eleven twenty four, which is what Paul is referencing. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. In other words, if you hold tight-fisted to the things of this world and you're unwilling to part with, even as Steve read that uh, text in Deuteronomy, that I don't want to forgive others' debts, I just want to keep for myself. If our heart and attitude is bad, we're not going to be free with our giving and gifts, and therefore we will not sow much in return. We have to know this. Why did he reference this? He just challenged the Corinthian church about readiness and willingness in verse 5 as he prepares this gift so that it may be ready as a gift, ready and willing, not as an exaction, not out of compulsion or guilt, not out of obligation. Now, as a rule in agriculture, we know if you are a farmer and you scatter just a few seeds, you cannot expect acres worth of a crop. You have to sow generously in order to reap the benefit of that. You get the greater return. The true, it's true of spiritual investments, even investments you make in people. When you're generous and you give of your time and resources, the return is great. And we'll talk about what kind of return that is. And Paul continues in verse 7, as you see the command, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Notice how it didn't say only the rich people. Each one must give as a command is written there, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly hesitating or under compulsion out of guilt or exaction, for God loves a cheerful giver, which tells us that everyone must be involved in financial stewardship and contributing to gospel ministry in some way. If you understand what Christ has done and you're part of the church, giving is not just something you do on a religious church attendance kind of roll call list, but it's something that fuels your desire to fuel, rather, the gospel ministry in the church. And I have a part in that. No one is exempt. But like all commands in the scriptures, 
They should be joyfully obeyed. And some of us look at the topic of money as kind of like a begrudging thing. I think of 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When you love God with your heart, you don't read this book as a list of do's and don'ts. You, do, you read this book as a list of delights in pleasing God and a way to live. In fact, they're not just burdensome. Paul actually says this one, in particular this command, is hilarious. No, it is. It's hilarious. The Greek word for cheerful there is hilaros, which we would get the word hilarious. And he says, give hilariously, not in the sense of, in a funny way, laughing your way to the offering box. People would think you're a little strange. But in the way of how you feel when you're enjoying life and like you have a deep, hearty laugh, like some things just bring you delight. He says, give in that way, that it brings you such delight to be generous, the same joy that would come from that. I have often said this in teaching about money, as it's very prominent teaching in the scriptures, that you just shouldn't give if you feel like you're giving out of guilt or obligation. I've been so forward from the pulpit to say, we don't want joyful gifts because it's of no use to you. God wants a cheerful heart. He is after your heart. We talked about this briefly last week. Jesus can have your money without your heart. That is possible, but he cannot have your heart without your money. And that is not some catchy phrase to pull a bigger offering this week. This is the reality of the scriptures. Jesus said it, that your heart and treasure are attached. That's why Paul says each one decides in his own heart. It's deliberate, and it flows out of your heart as God is putting you before various needs. And your heart is directly linked to what you worship. We should all know that. The amounts we spend on different things are linked to what we value the most. Remember, where your treasure is, your heart is. Jesus said that. He taught on that. And so this woman in Luke 7, her treasure was Christ and the forgiveness that he that she received from him. That was her treasure. And her transformed life because of the grace of Christ was a treasure. And that was reflected in where her heart was when she bowed down and worshiped Jesus. And she didn't give it for show. We know that, as I said, the Pharisees were not impressed at all. She wasn't doing it for show She didn't do it reluctantly or with hesitation. Would I be embarrassed? She did it joyfully, not begrudgingly, not out of guilt, not out of guilt because she herself was guilty. Think about that. She recognized her sinfulness before Christ and his worthiness and what he gave to her in extending his love and faithfulness to a sinner. And in response, she just gave generously and joyfully. Now, serious question here. And I mean this in a serious question for those that have grown up in the church those of us that are here, those of us that give regularly, those that don't give regularly, I'm just asking the question, what is your motive for giving money to the church and gospel ministry? Have you ever just stopped and think, thought about that? Like, why do I do that? What is the real reason? And this can change in different seasons. Here's a list of possibles. Is it to relieve guilt? Is it for recognition? 
Is it because the Bible just says so? I grew up in a Christian home, and we just learned at a young age you tithe. And so as the pattern goes, you just do it. You don't think about it. Is it because it's some kind of payoff? Because I can do this, God has given me this, but I'm less willing to do some other area of Christian service. Paul is saying, it shouldn't be any of those reasons. You should actually think about it and pray about it from your heart. It should actually just be a joy. You should do it cheerfully. You see, various motives may exist, but only a true understanding of God's grace and appreciation of it and a desire for others to know it will produce a cheerful giver. Paul essentially teaches us there are two ways to fail at giving and being generous. If you give generously, but not joyfully, you've given the wrong way. And if you've given joyfully, but not generously, you've failed. He wants us to meet those two things, generosity and joy in the middle. And he wants us to be cheerful and obedient as we do it. And once you get to that point, giving, being generous actually becomes fun. It doesn't become like this, oh, God wants me to, and I have to, and the Bible says it. It actually becomes a joyful thing to bless others, to give towards needs, gospel ministry. Here's the amazing thing. D.A. Carson says this, when you give, you benefit. God is no one's debtor. He bestows all kinds of heart gifts on people who give. You see, that's the second thing that we see in our text is giving is a blessing. All kinds of heart gifts. Then I'll read verses 8 through 11 again for understanding. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. That's a Psalm 112 reference. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. In other words, you're the one that's blessed. Now, when I read the first part of verse 8, you just have to look at that first part and stop. It says, and God is able. I think we need to stop here and recognize that even in all the troubles of life, and even maybe in money troubles, look at this phrase. Just I'm drawing it out for us. God is able. Wherever you are in life, money unrelated, you need to hear that phrase today. God is able. Whatever situation you're in, we come to the scriptures in this way, and I hope you see God is able to do whatever you think he needs to do, not by your story, or not by you authoring the story, rather, but he is able to accomplish whatever he desires. He is completely capable of doing anything in any situation. In fact, he says here that all grace will abound to you, that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Think about that. God is completely able in all ways, in all times, in all seasons. I don't know about you, but that sounds like he's pretty good at a lot of things, right? And more than good, completely capable beyond our human imagination with all sufficiency so that you may abound in every good work. God has the ability, because he is God, to lavish all kinds of grace on you, to meet all of your needs. And we who know Christ then are personally connected 
because of Jesus to God who is able to lavish on us. Think about that. We have a God that can do anything. How often do you forget about that when we grumble in our situations? And maybe it's because we live in an age of prosperity gospel, a time where the church pastors are on television and pastors are in churches and pastors are on book covers preaching a prosperity message, which is not the, pros- not the true gospel at all, rather. It's this idea that God will bless you with health and wealth and riches if you do X, Y, Z, that this will be the return. It's as if a vending machine button is pushed. And as long as I'm good and as long as I do what the preacher says on television and I'll get all this return to me, as long as I pray with a greater faith, I'll get healed. And if I don't pray with a greater faith, I won't get healed. And it's this response to God that is just not the true gospel. Now, let me be clear. In the Old Testament, the multiplication of material resources were often viewed as a blessing from God. In the last chapter of Job, you see that as God has allowed Job to be stripped of all his earthly possessions, and then after his troubles are done, he multiplies to him twice as much as he had before. But in the New Testament, the language is different. It's reinterpreted as a spiritual blessing. Hard gifts. Not necessarily, well, I give the church this, so I'm going to be rich in my bank account multiplying. A lot of people read this and say, well, Paul is saying here we'll multiply. Material. No. Paul is saying God will enrich you in every way spiritually to continue the work of the gospel. What Paul promises the generous giver is blessing. All you need for every good work. And it often is different than all we think we want. And the harvest that is increased is in verse 10, is your righteousness. Now, what is that phrase, a harvest of righteousness? It is this, the conforming of God's will in thought and deed. In other words, when you sow and are generous and make investments in people and gospel ministry, when you give freely towards needs like school supplies, when you support the poor when you do things like that. He conforms your heart more and more towards his own. He helps you become more generous like him. And you start to think as almost God thinks. This is my heart. I want to just continue to meet a need. I have a capable God who can supply everything I need. He's just going to multiply the work through my obedience And you start to be more aware of needs. You're doing the heart work when you're starting to understand what God is actually after in cheerful givers and your eyes open spiritually. And I really believe that people do not see needs that are around them all the time because they're just not open to them spiritually. People are unaware because you're so turned in in selfish selfish inward focus. But we need to ask God for spiritual eyes. Our family Four children that we have, Carrie and I, has practiced this for years. It's something we wanted to teach our kids, to be a blessing to others. Now, we don't always get that right, but we wanted to teach that principle to our kids, to look for needs and meet them. Now, our kids tithe. We taught them that. We taught them that because we do believe that's a biblical thing in the way of understanding where they get all the resource resource from from the beginning. So when our kids tithe at a young age, we said, God gives you everything you have. You give him the first 10%, not by way of some religious begrudging duty, but by way of acknowledging it's a faith thing. He gives you everything you have, and so you return to him that in worship. Now, some people say, well, well, the New Testament doesn't teach to 
people have to tithe in the New Testament church. And, and I would always argue, you're right, 10%. It's more probably like 90. So if you really want to go down that road, people are giving more freely than we do in just our bottom line because that's what we're usually after, right? What's the least amount I can give to get God happy? And we taught our kids to do that out of a way of faith, but we've always wanted more from our kids, and so we've learned and showed ways that they could be a blessing to others to look for needs, that they could sacrifice and then be a generous and joyful giver, hoping that it would produce in them a harvest of righteousness. Not that our kids would grow up wealthy, but that they would grow up spiritually mature. And over the years, we've done various things to accomplish that, and I could go on and about tell a bunch of stories, but that's not what I want to do. It was that we wanted them to be blessed by God and meet the needs of others with the resources God gave them because we knew that it would return to them something spiritually that could otherwise not gain. This enrichment, he writes in verse 11, in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We wanted our children to be enriched like I want our church to be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. Why? You know what happens when you're generous? People look to God, which is the third point. Giving brings glory to God. And you find this in the last several verses. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, the act of giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, tangibly met, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Why? Because people recognize when there's a need met that God must be the one who's meeting it. They know that it's God. Think about this in your own life for a moment here. When you have a need and when you've had a need, and maybe you go back to a past time where you just were in trouble, and I'm not just talking money, where you were desperate for God to do something and show up in some certain way. If you were smart during that season, you prayed about that. And I'm not saying you were super spiritual when you did that. You were more like maybe, and maybe you were, but maybe you were like the kid who's taking the test and he hasn't studied. And he's like, God, I really could use like a D plus on this one, right? Because Ds get degrees, right? That's what, that's what my kids tell me, right? But maybe you prayed because why? Because there's something innate in our soul that says we have nothing left to trust in this world, only, only God. And we look to him when we have a need. Now, what did you do when that need was met or responded to? If you were smart, and some of us are not smart in this way, we recognize that that was God. Some of us instead, oh, it must have just been a coincidence. I must have just, the cards fell for me the right way this time. All the while, your creator, who is able, completely able in all things, looks at, do you know how generous I am? He's wanting us to see that. This God who supplies. And if you were smart, you did not look at the gift, you looked at the giver. And that's what Paul is after in the church. When people concentrate on the gift, they wrap themselves into selfishness. When they concentrate on where the gift came from, the giver, that's when God bursts open your heart in praise and worship. Time and time again, I could go on and on about this, but I didn't have time this morning. How many ways God has shown our family personally and blessed us in different ways of just giving 
to us through people and provision, and constantly we're amazed. Time and time again, God has done that in this church body. He's been so generous, for which we should respond in praise and all glory for him. In fact, just yesterday, I was walking through our new addition space, which is nothing spectacular. I'm interested in how they build things, and I look around it. But what struck me is God's faithfulness over the last 15 years I've spent here in this ministry. And it has nothing to do with me, and I couldn't be more adamant about saying that. I was just looking around going, wow, God, how did you do this? This land and this building and these people. And it's not about a physical structure at all. It was just about God being generous. Even in the fact, and I have to say this, when we met with the banker and we were talking about this addition, in the middle of a pandemic, we were building an addition. And he just looked at us like, wow, that's like not really what churches are doing. And I said, well, God is able. Think about it. We don't belong to the world. We belong to the all-sufficient, almighty God. And when you get that, your heart just goes to praise. In verse 13, it says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Glorify God through the act of generosity. People will be blessed and approve of that, and it turns towards praise for God. And why do they do it? Did you catch that? They do it because of, it says, your submission to the gospel, confession of the gospel. People glorify God because of your submission. That's really strange, but not as entirely strange as if you look at it and understand it. What's it all about? Here's the chain, as scriptural principles are often like links in a chain. Where does our submission flow from? Paul writes it, the confession of the gospel. What's the confession of the gospel? Is answering with a resounding yes to do I know what I've been given in Christ. A sinner who God's wrath was against, who was condemned to death and penalty of death and judgment, and God not having to send his son Jesus to die on a cross, taking our sin in our place and therefore reconciling us to God through his blood. And he did that for us, and you can never earn it. A free gift. And when you say yes to that, I confess to that. That's my faith in that. And then I want to, through grace, understanding, submit my life to Christ in every way. That's what brings glory to God. Not just by the act of giving, although it says they praise God for that, but the actual fact that I'm submitting my life. That always brings people to glorify God. Wow. They submit their life to God. Maybe I should look towards the giver. That's what people see in us when we're generous. And it brings God glory and results in praise. Verse 14, in fact, tells us that it draws people together in the body while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. It does something in the church and unites when people understand that tangible needs are being met towards one another. It ought to give us a reason to praise God and draw the church together in unifying mission acknowledging the giver more than the gifts. And sometimes we just care too much about the gifts. I love that we did a school supply drive, and I love more that Landon shared that story because it wasn't about crayons and pencils and how much we raised. It was about a mom coming and seeing, what's this all about? I hope she saw that God was able in all of her needs to meet them in any way she could have thought beyond what she could have thought was imaginable. Now, it's interesting how Paul concludes this section, and here's where I'll land in verse 15. He says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
Now, what is he referring to? Maybe he's referring to the glorious picture of Christians giving to help other believers. That's just what the church does. They, they pull weight for each other and they support one another. Maybe he's praising God for his work of turning into generous givers. He had convinced the Corinthian church to do the act of giving and be generous. But underlying that gift is an even greater gift, the gift of a generous Savior who has given a gift to us. You see, Paul doesn't end this passage with our generosity, patting us on the back. He ends with the generosity of Jesus. His generosity transforms us so that we become a generous people. And I so want you to see that and experience it. I want you to become a generous, cheerful giver, knowing that you'll be blessed if you're a blessing to others. And I want you to experience true joy. Not, I've said this often, I don't benefit from this church's generosity in the sense of getting a pay raise like many TV preachers do. I have no desire for that. I want people to glorify God through what this church does because they care about the gospel. If you have Jesus, you don't need anything more to start. And if you don't have Jesus, that would be a really good time to, to check that and seek God in that and place your trust in him and wonder, do I know what I'm being offered in Christ? And respond to him in faith for the forgiveness of sins. When missionary to China, Hudson Taylor opened up a bank account for the China Inland Mission, a famous missionary. If you've never read about Hudson Taylor, you should read about him. He had to fill out an application form asking about what his assets were. And Hudson Taylor wrote the following as the sum. 10 pounds and all the promises of God. You have everything you need to be generous. To be a cheerful giver, you have a God who is able. And when you give joyfully, you'll be blessed. Others will benefit and God will be glorified. When you give joyfully, your gifts supply the needs for the saints and the body. The poor will be fed. School supplies will be given freely. Churches will be planted. Missionaries will be sent out. And the gospel will be advanced. I just want to pray for us, but I want to close with one more need that we learned of recently, and it'll be on the screen. There's a link. One of our missionaries, Casey Holmes, is in Lebanon, and if you remember hearing about the explosion in Beirut, it was pretty fierce. Some of you probably saw the video of that, and it was kind of painful to watch. And so there's a lot of relief that's needed for Lebanon, and we've been in communication with her, and you can give gifts to this link to support the Christian churches in Lebanon and the relief work there. If you don't want to do it via this link, if you're trying to jot that down, you can also do it through Real Hope, and then we will designate a little gift for Lebanon relief on that, that notation, and then we will send it there. But there's an opportunity, again, to be a generous people, to respond that in need to a need that is before us. And we want to do that by way of supporting those people. And I think we just don't, we're so consumed with the, the problems in our country right now that we often just don't think that we're not the only country on the planet. Can I just say that and remind us of that? Americans right now are so completely arrogant. I'm not going to preach a new sermon. I wish I wanted, had time to do it. But we think we're the only country on the planet. We need to recognize that there are other believers who are in far worse conditions than us. We have to wear a little piece of cloth over our face. All oh, and then the whole world melts down around us. Think about what God is asking us to do, to be a light to the world and I know you're probably going to try to find me and say, there's more to it than that. Well, don't find me if we're going to talk about that. Find me if you want to give. And we'll just talk about that. Let me pray for us.
Father in heaven, you are a generous God. And Father, we come maybe by way of confession first that I know this is true of me. I like comfort. I like living in this country with freedoms and material resource that abounds. And I, I often take it for granted. And Father, even as I just spoke about that, checking my own heart, of realizing how good you've been to us and how we almost expect it in our country. We almost just expect that you'll keep taking care of us this way. And Father, I don't know what you're doing through all the things in the world right now and all the things in our country. But in some ways, I hope you're stripping away our pride. And so Father, I help us to treasure you more than any other thing. Help us to think even now of other Christians and believers and even lost people in Beirut and Lebanon, a country we've never been to, probably never going to be at, and that we in Lake Mills, a little church in Wisconsin, could be a blessing to the relief that's going, could be a blessing to the advancement of the gospel over there. And we may never get to know that. We may never get to see where all those dollars are traced to. But your word just said and you are a God of promise that you will enrich us in every way to continue to abound in every work. So, Father, we acknowledge you today as the giver. Conform our hearts to you. Cause us to be hilarious givers that enjoy it to the point of the world just thinking we're crazy. Let them think we're crazy. Father, help us be generous because we have been given much in Christ. And I pray for the one who has never submitted their life to Christ now, that they would see, like that woman saw, the worth of Jesus, and they would go like that woman went and bow at his feet in humble worship, confessing their sin and giving their heart freely and, and washing, in the sense, his feet out of worship, not out of embarrassment or shame, but because it's the only thing that counts in this world. May you be glorified and praised. And Father, if someone confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, that they will be saved. And if we have Jesus, we have all we need. And we pray these things in his name and all God's people said.